Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Some people have this tendency to try and kind of paint you as a political band, but it always felt to me like instead of writing songs about the strange external world that we live in, you were kind of talking more about the direct impact upon the individual. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, You hit the nail on the head there, really. Yeah, it's more sort of internal uh, monologue musings and you're totally right how a person is psychologically affected by uh the society especially the constructs that we've got around us at the moment so i I quite often tell people that uh a little bit tongue-in-cheek that we're more a psychological band than we are a political band (laughs) but yeah that's the the way you summarized it's perfect that's that's it when did you first feel that these emotions that you were experiencing as a result of the world we live in, whether that be, you know, angst or confusion or hope even, that why did you feel that these feelings were worth expressing in music and kind of exploring in that domain? Yeah, well, for me, that I mean, that's that's been the the number one reason I've, I've, I've ever made music, really. Like, th- this band is the, the first band I've ever done vocals in. Um, so that that's completely new to me. So I suppose I, I've been a, a drummer since the age of 15. So I was always the drummer in, in the bands I've been in. So then I suppose all of a sudden kind of writing lyrics was a, a very, very alien concept to me. But music was always like a really cathartic release. Like it made me feel better. Just, you know, as simple as that. So I suppose when it came to starting to write lyrics I, I, I kind of somewhere in my mind joined joined the dots I suppose and and that's why it, it's it's more kind of the lyrics are more reflective I suppose rather than um, commentaries of, of society. Does, it's interesting what you're saying about you used to be a drummer does the catharsis differ on stage when you're at the front of the stage as opposed to on the drum kit? No not really I mean it, it's something that that took getting used to because I, I was used to obviously being at the the back of the stage and and just being behind the drum kit and obviously you know not having a microphone not really needing to engage too much with the audience um well you know <laughs> you're, you're still in, you're still engaging you're still playing and you're still putting on a performance but it's 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 not quite the same I suppose so it's something that that took a little bit of getting used to and like the early days of of pigs I'd kind of I was wearing this like huge uh, multicolored kaftan with the hood up. Um, I spent a lot of time with my back to the audience and gradually over time, I kind of, I suppose, became more at ease uh, and more comfortable with kind of presenting myself a bit more. But it, it did take a little bit of time, but there, w- there was like, over time, I, I began to realize that like nobody really goes to a gig to 
see anyone fuck up or heckle or things like that. Like, everyone's there to have a good time, right? So, and you're there to have a good time playing your music. So everyone's kind of in the same boat. So when you kind of start to create that narrative in your, in your mind, things become a little bit less scary when you've got to stand up in, in front of people, really. It's, it, it kind of breaks down those, um, those barriers anyway in, in terms of performance. And plus, like, you know, in terms of the level of catharsism, like the, like obviously drumming, it's a really, really physical instrument. But also vocals, I mean, you, you don't get much more physical than that, really. So in that regard, they're, they're, they're almost the same in a way. Like, it's a, it's a really physical sensation from, especially like the, the vocals that I need to do in Pigs. It's like a head-to-toe kind of physical, <laughs> uh, physical workout. So, um, yeah, in that sense, it's, it's, it's weirdly similar. Yeah, you got to dig deep. It's interesting that kind of sentiment you were saying there about, you know, becoming more comfortable and confident on stage. Is that something that's kind of similarly echoed in the music itself? Like, do you feel like you've become more comfortable and confident in the soundscape that you're crafting and the sound of the band since the first record? I think so. I think we're at least more aware of the things that we do really well and have kind of gradually honed in more and more on those and kind of you know, just just let go of the things that we maybe weren't so good at. Or with that same sentiment, though, there there are things, there are certainly things that we learned that we were really, really good, at, or or at least that it felt really natural to do. And you know that that that's the kind of thing where we kind of end up sort of getting really repetitive and 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 repeating things a lot because, like, from a sense of being a musician and the performance and the the sonics of what we're doing, you can get really, really lost in that, and that's a that's a really wonderful thing. And and we still do that, but it's something that I think we've we at some point we we realised that that's something that we can do with ease. And actually, if we kind of reel that in a bit, when we do kind of let things off the leash like that. Um, on the odd occasion that we allow ourselves to do that now, now um, it becomes a lot more effective and it feels like it's a lot more meaningful when we do it. There's a lot more impact. We've been a band for a long time now, really. Um, I mean, we start to get a lot, of, a lot of extra promotion and a lot of extra ears on the band around the time we released King of Cowards, but we put out um, Feed the Rats, our debut album, maybe like a year and a half before that. And before that, we were a band for four years um, and we, we just didn't release an album. We were just going out and doing gigs and that's all we did for four years. Um, so we've, been, we've had a long time to really sharpen things and, and yeah, experiment and, and work out what, what feels good. You want to make sure you've put that work in, though, in that time before you get to the stage when a light starts to get shone on it. You know, by waiting those four years to kind of sharpen your teeth. So then once it does start to catch a light, it's easier to progress, maybe, and kind of experiment. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, it's not really like we had, we were following any particular blueprint or had any particular long-term goals for the band, really. It was just a case of um, being inspired by certainly a lot of the like the psych and the the noise rock bands that were and are still active in the in the UK like there were so many bands of that kind of ilk passing through Newcastle we'd go and watch them play and um you know like festivals like Supersonic and Supernormal and Desert Fest and Raw Power like things like that like they they were always kind of I suppose in terms of like goals they were always our goals when we started the band it was like well, we love those festivals. We love all of the bands that play those festivals. We really want to play those festivals. And we really just want to get out and gig with those bands as well that we were inspired by. So, yeah, things just kind of rolled on from there, really. What goals do you have now that you've achieved some of those things? Just just playing in a pub now. <laughs> I, I, think, um, I, think, I, think the goals, I think the goals have been amended since the pandemic came in. I mean, I, I think it's important to set yourself little goals and little ambitions because that's I think that's healthy but I also think for musicians it can quite quickly become unhealthy I mean I've been in bands in the past before where 
or we've maybe developed unrealistic expectations as to where you know we we thought the band could be or what the what the band could achieve when really you've kind of uh you've just got to hold on to the fundamental of like why am i in this band why am i making this music and and as long as you can do that things become a lot easier i kind of think as uh, of pigs as a you know in terms of achievements anyway i feel like we are maybe like a a league one football team i was trying i was trying to think of a suitable league there i didn't want to go too low <laughs> but i didn't want to go too high either. a league a league one football team that's gone on a really good fa cup run and we're suddenly like we're we've got into the quarterfinals against the odds and we're like well do you know what you know we've we've drawn villa at home maybe maybe we can get to the semi-final <laughs> so in terms of like the way we plan things it's really really step by step and like oh wow you know th- those amazing things happened on the last album so it'd be great to replicate those and maybe we can do these the next time so you kind of look i don't know for me that the, the greatest joy i get from from being in the band is the live shows and it's been so nice to have with each album the live shows kind of just just grow and get bigger in in terms of audience and capacity and the size of the PA and the the lighting and the things that we can do visually live um that's always enhancing um with every album so i suppose that that's like that that the the main set of goals i think that we always drive towards it's like how do we how do we get the live shows to be bigger and better on the on the next release so i suppose yeah they're the goals i guess yeah it must be a strange thing when you've got such a massive soundscape when you start off and you're trying to make that work in tiny little basements and stuff yeah we just used to make like amps explode and things like the first (laughs) the first like i think year of our existence it it became a bit of a a a mid performance ritual um you know so one of the guitarists amps would just blow halfway through the set and would have to run around the venue trying to plead with one of the the other bands to borrow a, a guitar head for the rest of the set which usually well no yeah people people were kind to us and and lent us lent us gear when it yeah when ours went uh went boom so uh yeah i don't know we just kind of we just did it like it's strange to think we played in some really really small venues like when we started out um uh, and we just we played at pretty much the same volume that we play now obviously like the bigger venues have got bigger pa systems to fill that space but on stage we're playing at the same volume we played when we started out only when we started out people would be stood like three feet away from the guitar cabs which probably did them no good really <laughs> when you're in the studio do you track most of it live kind of it's, it's kind of 50 50 so what we do is um sam johnny the bass player and chris the drummer they will play the bones of the track live and then what we do from there obviously you've got like the drum sound um but the the guitar cabs they're isolated from the the drums so they're in a different room um so you're just kind of sam's always really keen on on capturing like a really really big drum sound and and to do that you can't really have the cabs in the same room um because it muddies the you know obviously the the drum mics will start to pick up the cabs and things but then after that we we kind of go through a process of reamping things um sometimes several times um so just just play the bass takes through um an amp in the live room and that's cranked up to a a level that is pretty much the kind of live level um so yeah we kind of do it live but also yeah there's there's plenty of overdubs and things done as well i mean not not too many we don't go crazy but obviously the vocals vocals are done separately the the synths done separately and any kind of additional stuff we want to put on you know just little bits of saxophone here and there that all gets overdubbed um cowbell (laughs) and and the and the one cowbell strike in the (laughs) album yeah (laughs) 
Uh, do you, I mean, you, what was it, 20% you had written before you went into the studio on this record? Do you have a rough idea of the trajectory of where you want it to go before you head in? Or is a lot of it just allowing it to breathe and be free in that space and take on a life of its own? Yeah, we probably had, we had more of it written than that, really. Certainly there was, there were gaps in terms of the lyrics that I needed to write. Um, some of the songs structurally were things that were massaged a lot in the studio. So, you know, in, in terms of like the core elements of the songs were there, it was just a case of deciding where to kind of push and where to pull things really and, and, and just listen back to recordings and just think, oh, well, maybe that section could be a bit shorter or maybe that section could be a bit longer or maybe that section needs to kind of push a bit harder in the in terms of the the tempo and this bit needs to pull back a bit so there was a lot of in terms of smoothing out the songs a lot of that was done in the studio but like the majority of the riffs were there um but i mean the biggest shame of it all i think was like we've not been able to play most of those songs live um so with the other records, with Feed the Rats and King of Cowards, we played maybe a bit less so with King of Cowards, but we still managed to do a few shows where we, we kind of road tested um, a lot of the songs on that album, whereas this one, we didn't have that luxury, but, you know, it was okay because <laughs> we had loads of tour dates booked in after, uh, <laughs> after the album release. Um, so a lot of those songs haven't been played. Like we played um, "Crazy and Blood," got its its fair amount of road testing. But I think we played "Reducer" twice, and then the rest of the songs just we haven't played them outside of the studio. Um, so we're probably gonna have to relearn them and <laughs> yeah, and make little amendments here and there. Um, we sometimes do that in terms of like trying to fit songs into. Um, the live sacks, obviously, some of them are, are pretty long, so we might need to tailor those a bit so we can get more mileage out of, you know, running through the, the catalogue. But, um, yeah, yeah. How, well, you know, what you were saying there at the start about the idea of push and pull and that kind of occurring in the studio, how did that function on something like yeah. Halloween Bolson? You know, kind of one of the biggest songs in the record, but one that has probably the most sense of kind of dynamics and the waves of kind of massive peaks and then it kind of drops down and is proper reined in yeah i mean again that's that's something like back to uh what i was saying at the at the start um that, that's something we've kind of worked on over time like you know the the if you go through like king of cowards maybe there, there are those kind of little moments of like uh dynamic build and things like that and i think that's that's definitely something that we started to explore a bit on King of the Cow- King of Cowards, and then it was definitely something that we wanted to explore further in in Viscerals. So, yeah, I suppose it's it, it it wasn't so much a sense of we weren't approaching it fresh. It was already like something that you know we we'd been practicing with with those other songs, I guess. Um, but it was just a case of paying more attention to those elements of our songwriting um with viscerals and again with the next record i mean we've we've barely written anything really but you know individually we've got little bits of ideas and i would expect that's something that we will explore even further in the next one because it's we're really good at kind of going like full octane really you know, really loud, really full on and just in your face for like four or five minutes. And, and that's great. Like we love doing that. Um, but the, the dynamics of things, that's something that we're still kind of exploring. And I think there's still plenty more for us to explore. I, I kind of got to give like Sam uh, a lot of credit uh, in terms of like the way he produces our albums. So Sam's our guitarist, but he also he engineers and produces our records as well. He runs a studio in in Newcastle where we do all our recording, and he always has like a very very clear idea as to how he would like to approach uh, producing and engineering the the album. In terms of 
giving it a different character uh, to the, the album previous and also to find ways in which you can make the music more dynamic. I think it'd be just really easy for us to just, like I say, go just like flat out for like 40 minutes start to finish of the album. But Sam's always looking for those points where he can really kind of make the most of, of the dynamics of what we're doing in a production sense and, you know, give, give the album like a real kind of flow, I suppose. Yeah, it's like Blood and Butter as well. You couldn't imagine that on one of the other records, but it's a point where you completely slow it down and take everything yeah. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, that was intentional. I mean, that that was something that, came about just at the the very very start of the the recording we were, we we were cracking on recording the songs and again that was that was one of uh, Sam's ideas he kind of said oh it'd be amazing to kind of put something quite abstract in the album that kind of brings brings it dynamically quite down and brings the tone like straight back down as well um and i think it works really well in in that sense we just let chris like go crazy on the drums in in the live room for like 15 minutes and just yeah just chopped up loads of different drum loops and just then we just messed about with synthesizers and it was quite nice penning the lyrics over over that because you know it was like i didn't really have anything much to hold on to in terms of like structure or uh like rhythm of riffs or rhythm of drums where the vocals would usually play around those but with that it was it felt like a bit like blank canvas which was quite nice to just kind of let myself loose on that is that why it took in a totally different vocal style as well yeah probably um although saying that i mean you know the the music itself it dictates really what the vocals are gonna do and i think it would have been very odd if i <laughs> started really hollering um over that so yeah a, a more kind of spoken word approach and i'm not you know i'm not blessed with um the most dulcet of uh <laughs> of singing voices so yeah taking a spoken word approach was definitely the way to go with it i think is that the one that's about greg's it's about greg's i mean it could be about it could be about greg's i heard uh, that, is that one of the songs in the record are about it's about Greg's, and that felt like the one that kind of lined up for me. <laughs> it's not necessarily about Greg's, but um, I think that's probably something strange we've said to someone somewhere, and it's it's been published. But that, yeah, 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 it's about Greg's. <laughs> I mean, in a more serious note, it kind of does take on a new resonance in the light of the food parcel scandal. Yeah, yeah, it definitely does. I mean, it's it's really that kind of touch you know everyone knows what's happening just people are getting sold out all over the shop really and it's usually people at the lower end of the income scale that are the ones that well they are the ones that suffer most you know it's just this idea of just you know everyone it's just just people people cutting corners for for profit and and it's you know not really having anyone else's best interests at heart. It's just a kind of money-saving exercise whenever they've got to provide any, you know, and you you, you say the food parcels is, is a prime example of that. It's like uh, they're obliged to offer these services, but it's like, well, how how do we do this in the most cost-effective manner? And it's, you know, it's got nothing to do with altruism whatsoever. It's It's gross. And that happens across, you know, it's all sorts of things. It's just, yeah. So I suppose that's that's where where blood and butter was kind of coming from. Yeah, it's these kind of structures that have been left in place by people with different intentions, and then they're not they can't be exercised to their proper use when someone is else who doesn't believe in them is trying to use them. Yeah, or absolutely. being forced to use them rather. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's exactly it. I wanted to come back to what you were saying about you know, you wanted to explore dynamics in a slightly different way on this record or continue exploring them in ways you kind of previously mm. started off. Yeah. Is it easier to kind of get a shape of the record as a whole if you have intentions like that going in to kind of unify the songs and what you want to do with it? I think so. Like, I mean, with this record, with Visceral's, it like more so than any other record was one where Johnny wrote 
the kind of the, the a lot of the riffs for like you know a few tracks I basically came into the studio with almost fully formed songs Sam and Adam did the same whereas like previous albums it was more of a kind of I guess like jamming sessions we did more of that which is a longer process I'm not saying like either way is right or wrong for us really I mean in some ways probably that different approach to viscerals is a reason why you know another reason aside from like the production why why we've got a different character out of it but yeah I don't know in a sense of like I said I mean Sam always has a very very clear idea of the direction he wants to take the the production and overall sound of the album and he is very clever in the sense of like he'll pick out certain things he he wants to do that will production wise that will be a thread throughout the entire album and that and that's a key thing in in giving the album a, an identity i guess um like what one of the things he did for this album was um it was phenomenal really i went into blank studios one evening and and he said oh come and have, come and have a look at this and I went in the live room and he built like a really big plate reverb, basically a huge sheet of metal in like a wooden frame suspended on the wall um, with contact mics on it. That's how they kind of used to do it in the 60s and 70s. So he built that specifically for this album. And he, you know, he said, well, I want to put like a lot of the vocals through this. I want to use it. I put a lot of the drums through it. So that's like all over the album and, and that's one of the things that kind of gives it really strong and distinct um, identity, I guess. I think you get a sense of that. You know, you, you were saying that the riffs were kind of the first, one of the first things you had. You get a sense of that from them too. They're kind of like the melodic heart of it. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's always how it works. Um, you know, some, some songs, someone will just come in with like a you know just one single riff and we'll kind of all like pull out different ideas that we've got floating around in our in our brains that may work with that and we'll piece the song together like that um but other songs like rubbernecker like sam pretty much he, he came in he was like i've written this song then we'll kind of jam it out in the studio and and give our each give our two cents of maybe what what needs tweaking here and there, or you know how how we can change it for the better. Um, and then other songs would be like, you know, sometimes you, especially when we were kind of full throttle with gigging, like we've all got day jobs as well, so time is was at a premium. You know, we we'd be go away touring, and then we'd be straight back into our day jobs, and then we we were away touring again. So actually, like, time to write records was at a premium, you know. And then we've all got, you know, personal lives on top of that, and partners and whatnot. So, you know, there were certain instances where just Johnny and Chris would go into the practice room and just try and knock out a song, basically. Just, just drums and bass. And that's how um, Reducer came about. They just, they just went in and... And that, that came together really quick, that one. And I think that kind of... You, you, you hear that in, in the song, I think. There's a sense of it being, like, thrashed out. And that's exactly how it was written. And that's exactly how it, how it should be performed as well. So It's got a scrappy kind of punky spirit. Yeah, yeah, too. absolutely. Kind of like a... Well, not really like a Stooges vibe. But, you know, that it's within that sort of parameter, I guess. You know, just to kind of foot to the floor and just just go for it for four minutes it's uh yeah that line as well at the end of it on the outro ego kills everything yeah is the recording studio kind of one of the few places in the world that when everything is going right ego is completely absent um i think both in the studio and in the live sense as well it's a wonderful thing when you're performing live and again, like in the studio, it's a wonderful thing where you hit the moments where you're no longer really consciously thinking, I'm performing in front of people or I'm recording, so I've got to get this right. Or, you know, as soon as you can clear that, it 
it's it's a wonderful thing and that and that's exactly that they're the spaces that i always want to be in but you know it's it's not always possible uh you know sometimes you'll do a gig and you just like you get like a lot of mental chatter throughout and you're just like oh god you know not feeling as comfortable as you could but if you can clear that and everything clicks you and you just you just kind of feel at one with a lot of things like the sound and the people in the in the in the audience it's yeah that's exactly where you know when you're no longer thinking i am someone on stage performing it's just like you just you're just there and you're just existing with other people and that's a really good thing does that change your perspective on life outside of it in any way when you have an experience like that so frequently yeah i think so i mean one thing that and i've, I've been reading like bits of ram das like over the over the course of the pandemic and one of these things that he tries to promote and teach is this idea that like everyone everyone is a peer so everyone's the same like you know doesn't matter you know and his thing is like it doesn't matter who that person is like you know you might think they're a total asshole but they're the same as you and you're the same as them and everyone's the same once you start to like view things in that way you know from a music sense as well like everything starts to become a lot easier and you become a lot more open and receptive to things as well um you know it it works really well for me because like i'm I'm not bothered about sharing this but um i had like counseling sessions last year and like one of the big things for me is that actually i've got quite low self-esteem so Sometimes if I'll like be speaking to someone who I perceive to be like an important person or a person who has some amount of influence like over my life, it can make me a bit jumpy and nervous. As soon as you can kind of train your brain into thinking, no, they're like, yeah, I'm the same as that person and that person, you know, we're all level here. Um, It makes things a lot easier. And likewise, like the other way around, there's absolutely, and this isn't something I've ever, I don't think, suffered from. But, you know, that sense of like, I'm more important than other people because I'm a musician on the stage and I'm playing to loads of people, Um, you know, but I mean, the music industry is obviously full of those people. uh, But, you you know, you can, you, you spot them a mile off, like, you know, my radar for that kind of thing, I feel like is. It's pretty good. <laughs> so, just try to avoid. Yeah, they're, they're not usually particularly subtle about it either. No. I did, well, it's just that sense <laughs> of, like, I suppose it's almost a, almost a lack of awareness of it as well. Like, you know, I think it's important to remain very, very humble and uh, appreciative of, of what's going on. And I think, like, certainly for, like, bands like us, and so you know you talk to other bands at festivals and things and like i shouldn't generalize but sometimes you can you can definitely tell the difference between bands or musicians who have been at it a really long time and they've they've just kind of played like small venues for years and years and years maybe not even in that band but you know and then suddenly something will happen for them and, you know, more people will gravitate towards the music and take interest in it, which is a cool thing. And, you know, those uh, pigs are kind of in that category as well. And, and we're just like, wow, this is amazing. The flip side of that is that, you know, you, you, you maybe get like young musicians or that, that all of a sudden just get like launched like they just put like you know and that and that you know that's not a reflection i'm not saying that you know that the music doesn't deserve you know what they're doing isn't worthy of that that's that's not what i'm saying at all like so you know some young musicians are just people are, some people are just naturally gifted and they'll just do it and they, you know and it's like wow where do you learn that um and they've just got it in them but they just get propelled straight away and they they're straight away in that kind of you know they're playing in front of huge audiences straight away and they miss out like that kind of riding around in a transit van that could break down at any moment it humbles you yeah 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 it totally does yeah and i think sometimes you you know you 
you try and I'm not going to name any names, but you you try and speak to those people at festivals or wherever, and they're just like just looking at you like you're an alien. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'll move on. <laughs> I mean, you get that as well. There were people who haven't even had any success in that way. Like, it, it exists at all levels of the Keno. Yeah, I suppose it does. System. I suppose it's, yeah, like I said, like, back, back to that thing of, like, where are your expectations and why are you, why are you doing this? Like, you know, if your main aim is just to let off, a, let, let off some steam and just, like, have a good time with as many people as possible, I don't think you can go far wrong with that objective. You know, just, just keep hold of that. And then whatever happens, happens, you know? Obviously, you get, like, music, some musicians that are just like, okay, well, that band are doing that and we're better than them, so why is that not happening to us? And, you know, they may be better than that band, I don't know. I mean, music's completely subjective anyway, isn't it? I don't really subscribe to the notion that one kind of music is any better than the other, but yeah, it's a funny thing, isn't it? Like, expectations, I guess. Yeah. Comparison is the death of joy. Oh, yeah. That's the expression, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to ask a little bit about New Body as well, Mm. because at the the heart of that song, you have that kind of chorus of I don't feel a thing. Mm. Is, Is crafting music from numbness harder? It's it's like a weird juxtaposition to be able to get something that's so steeped in an intense feeling yeah. from feeling nothing. Yeah, it is hard. I I, I mean, it's, it's certainly you know, every, I'm sure most people have been riding various waves of kind of mental health stabilities over the past uh, year or so. But yeah, it is difficult because, I, I, and the more I kind of think about the way that I create music and those kind of moments where I feel like I do the best work I can do musically. It's these times where it's going to sound weird, but I feel like music is this like, it's this separate entity that like passes through you and it just, or, or, or maybe like inspiration for, you know, I don't know, maybe that's the wrong word, but it, it passes through you and when it does you've got to use it and seize it and value it because it's with you and then it moves on and it goes elsewhere and I find it very difficult when I'm like I find it very difficult to force myself to do things musically because more often than not if if I kind of force myself into doing something whether that's writing lyrics or writing riffs or whatever I don't have that real sense of connection with it like I'll, I'll I'll just look back at it and 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 just pick it apart and just go nah, this isn't it but then there's these other moments where you know I just wake up one morning and I just have this feeling it's not even like an idea a solid idea it's not like lines for lyrics it's not it's nothing it's just a feeling that I think today could be a day where I can do something, I can create something that I'll be proud of. And it's at those on those days where I've got to go, right, okay, I'll make some time to use this and, and do it. On the, yeah, but on the flip side, you know, some days it's just like, I suppose you've just got to kind of acknowledge mentally where you are and, and just be like, okay, if I try to, you know, it's just not with me today. It's just not there. Yeah, it's a strange thing. How often does it typically arrive? <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's inconsistent. I'll, <laughs> I get, I get, I'll give it that. Um, I mean, obviously, it's it's a different thing. I, th- I suppose I'm 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 discussing this from a sense of like doing things from a solo perspective. Um, you know writing lyrics i'll i'll generally that's something that I'll, I'll tackle on my own but obviously you know when you're in a sense of you're all in a room and you you're able to bounce off each other whatever that is that inspiration that source can be summoned a lot easier than than whether you're just kind of at home um on your own but you know sometimes it can be it can be it can be with me for a couple of weeks 
and then other times it's like okay it's gone and it just doesn't arrive and you get a couple of days here and there where you're like yes i'm gonna i'm gonna do this today and you do it and and i'm i look back at it and i'm like yeah i'm really happy with that i'm really proud of it but yeah it's just this sense of just waiting for it to arrive which is a an odd thing i feel like i can't really I can't summon it. I can't prov- provoke it. It just arrives. And then when it arrives, I've just got to take advantage of it. It's interesting. It's a work in a juxtaposition because we think about, you know, music being this thing that you create and you have a lot of control over. Yeah. But the, almost the force behind it, you're completely out of control of. Yeah. Yeah. But I think there's a lot to be said of just generally submitting to things anyway. It's quite nice. And then just... Because the flip side of that is if you're not submitting to it and you're trying to force it, it can become a very, very frustrating process. And I think, you know, not again, like, you know, I don't want to beat anyone down, but like when you get into like the upper echelons of like really hyper commercial music, like that's that, that, that stuff that is like, people are financially very, very committed to it and, like, things happening. And I think that's why a lot of it, it just sounds so, like, hollow and insipid, you know, especially, like, really ultra-commercial rock bands. It's because they're like, right, we have to do this. We need to make a new album now and we need to write it and... It's just, tra- I suppose it's just a completely different process and it just becomes more forced and you lose grasp of, yeah, the fundamental joy of it, I suppose. On the flip side, though, like, I, I you know, there's loads of commercial music that I really, really like. I like, I like Miley Cyrus. Like, I think, she- <laughs> I think she's... Good new album. Yeah, yeah. Good new album. She's amazing. Like, her voice is... Just so powerful. It's got such a nice tone to it now as well. Yeah. Like, I'm not encouraging smoking, but yeah. after, like, that much, it gives it such a kind of rich side to it that it didn't have before. Yeah, she's incredible. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's not the same across the board, I guess, but I do think that's kind of why a lot of, especially in rock music, it just really hyper-commercial rock music just reeks of, like, uh, it's just vacuous. <laughs> I, w- I was thinking about this the other day and I think it comes down to if you can hear the person's singular voice coming through mm. it's the same reason why like if you hear a band who are playing in a local venue that sounds exactly like Catfish in the Bottom and yeah. you don't dig it because it's not their voice it's just something else you know it's the same thing with like the hyper commercialized stuff yeah that's that's true yeah yeah I guess so you kind of you're trying to replicate somebody else's somebody else's expression aren't you and yeah that doesn't often end well is the it's interesting you know what you were saying earlier as well about trying to just you have to give yourself to the inspiration almost completely is that Mm. almost like it almost like a religious thing in some ways like completely giving yourself to it i don't know if i'm making a massive leap there though no like i'm not religious in the sense of you know traditionally religious but i i do think this kind of otherworldly things that I certainly don't comprehend or at least some amount of like connectivity within the world that is there to be uh, you can kind of I don't know you can kind of if you're open to it you tap into it and it's almost like sometimes ideas will just be like it feels like they're thrown at me rather than something that is you know i thought up it's almost like <laughs> like i shouldn't have a writing credit on, <laughs> on certain <laughs> things you know but like you know i'll wake up sometimes in the like just bang in the middle of the night and just have like a couple of sentences just there in my mind that i mean it's it's kind of annoying because I've got to then make use of those and and kind of get up and write them down because, you know, there's been instances where that's happened and I'll think, oh, wow, they're a great couple of lines. Um, And then I'll go back to sleep and in the morning I'll wake up and I'm like, I'm sure 
I'm sure something happened in the middle of the night that I was meant to take note of, and yeah, so... But I suppose, you know, then you're starting to get into the realms there of, like, is it a spiritual thing, or is it just the kind of recesses of your subconscious mind kind of popping up? And I suppose that, you know, like, I'm fascinated with, like, dreams and, like, the meanings behind dreams or, or what, you know, what what are they? What What is, like, especially, like, the really vivid ones that are just so strange and you wake up thinking, like, what on earth? Like, because that's something that your your brain is creating that, right? Like, it is creating these, like, films in a way in your in your in your mind but you're the you know you're part of them you're the actor but it's like virtual reality y- yeah but but you don't understand them fully like sometimes they're just like so abstract that you're like what on earth am i trying to tell myself and why isn't your brain just saying oh you know what you're worried about doing your tax return so why do like why is it presenting me why why am i on a boat bobbing around in the middle of the ocean like with like sardines hanging off my eyelids or whatever do you know what i mean it's like and then you like maybe look up like certain dream symbology meanings and things like that and like all the like you know they're they're things that are from like you, you just kind of collated from all different cultures across the world but quite often there's like there are threads there and you look at it and you're like oh wow i am i'm I, I, yeah the sardines yeah i am worried about i'm actually worried about doing my tax return if sardines happen to represent some amount of <laughs> clerical admin work that you're putting off i don't know but like i, I just find that kind of thing fascinating i think with the next album that's something i'm going to try and lean on a bit in terms of like a, a topic or a theme throughout the album i think you touch on a little bit on hell's teeth i think don't you you've kind of got the reference to star signs yeah 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 i do like yeah the general gist of 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 that song is kind of just that kind of notion of just people getting on with their lives and like you know if they find comfort and solace in anything like that you know star signs or my sense dream symbology or or anything you know if if that's what you're interested in cool just just go for it and enjoy it you know as long as it's not like the kind of q anon stuff whereby there's like real sinister undertones to that and it's like pure manipulation of people but you know if it's not that sort of thing then yeah cool Everything always has extremes. Like, it always gets out of control in some yeah. way. Everything that kind of starts off is a good thing. True. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you look at any sort of major religion, and, yeah, it's all been completely uh, commandeered, hasn't it? Um, and and just pulled apart and reconstructed. And, you know, most... Well, you know, I'm no expert, but a lot of religions have got really nice, positive messages but then you know you look at the the structure of the establishments that yeah like i say commandeered those religions it starts to become a bit a bit sad actually i i think i think it's the problem with a lot of political systems as well as they run on this assumption that humans are going to be good and it's always the kind of human nature of the slightly more sinister aspects of our makeup that ultimately land end in these things kind of collapsing a little bit look at the catholic church you know it's like yeah that's a that's a force of its own isn't it but yeah but that's not to say you know it's weird isn't it because you look at things especially like that like the the catholic church where it's just like such a it's a huge it's almost like it's like a corporation in a way isn't it and a lot of money from the very top does not trickle down but then you look at the sort of the ground level of things and the grassroots things yeah you know, people can believe in whatever they want to believe that's cool and have faith in whatever they want to believe and you look at it on a on a in a on a community level and there's a lot of like you know good that certain churches or parishes will be doing fundraising or volunteering or just you know just doing positive things with with their religion but then obviously on like a 
much more like global and societal things, you can quite easily see the damage that's that's being caused, I guess, or or the tensions that are, that, that that it can stoke. Um, you know, especially in terms of like you know, uh, rights, you know, up to abortion and things like that. It's, yeah, it's it's a very complicated thing, isn't it? I'm always keen to not, like, seem like I'm coming across as just, like, completely, like, bashing religion because that's that's not my intention at all. Like, you know, there's a lot of good people. Yeah, I've, I've known people that are, like, deeply religious people, Catholics, and they're good people by all means and you know it's it would be unfair for me to kind of express like oh well you know your religion is crazy and destroying the world or whatever you know it's it's not as simple as that i don't think well that would be discrimination wouldn't it that's the kind of basis that Mm. racism and stuff runs on yeah yeah you wonder where people are gonna get their kind of moral compasses from though as religion fades because that's one of the really positive aspects of it is that it is this thing you can kind of center your life around in a really positive way. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, like, in terms of society and the way we kind of interact with each other anyway, like, outside of re- religion, it's it feels like it's becoming so fragmented and so intense at times i think you know a lot of a lot of my feelings on that come from kind of observation of of how people are behaving on social media and things like that it's something that i've kind of become more aware of and i try not to just kind of lose my shit on social media and i've tried to like just rein it in a bit like my usage of it you know it's quite low at the moment i'll just kind of go on i'll post things and maybe look at a couple of things that like very close friends are doing and then kind of jump back out of it. So, you know, well, for a couple of reasons, one, because like I find that it can like trigger me quite easily emotionally. So if I'm just like scrolling through Twitter and then all of a sudden I'll read something and it'll make me raging or it'll make me anxious, you know, and I'll, and I'll close the app and that, but that, that emotion stays with me for a while. And I, you know, I was in a fairly balanced place before that happened. So, well, why, why am I putting myself through that? Like, not to say that it's not important to like stay um, connected with current affairs. Um, you know, especially from like a political st- sense um, and an analytical sense, like and a critical sense. That's important. Like, that's important for for everyone to have, but this kind of i don't know just shouting into shouting into the void on on twitter i don't know how beneficial that is for people but yeah i don't know yeah back to your point of the the kind of religion and the where does that moral compass come from i i don't know <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i mean yeah i don't know it's been a long time since i've i've looked at the you know, I don't know what, what gets taught in primary schools anymore. It it might be, you know, it might be something that, that is done in primary school a little bit more than leaning into religion. You might just be, if you go to a nice school, your teachers, <laughs> you know, teach you, <laughs> teach you how to behave responsibly and like a, like a human should behave and be empathetic and, and things like that. Yeah. You wonder if, I mean, like, if you think about something on the record, like Crazy and Blood, you're looking at like the really extreme, kind of hyperbolized forms of religious worship yeah. to a degree. Or you're kind of, there's a motif of it, mm-hmm. but you almost wonder if it's just going to get watered down until it's almost like children's stories that are used with a good moral at the center of it. Yeah. In the same way that you tell people Aesop's fables, you know, that yeah. the Bible might become that. Yeah, yeah, maybe so. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. Uh... <laughs> something to think about on the next just, record just don't know yeah I, I, I just take everything at face value at, at the moment anyway or even just like the past few years just kind of trying to think not too far ahead in the future because my imagination can make things seem a lot crazier than they actually might be when you get to that moment in the future um, you know it's uh Sometimes I think like 
the mass anxiety around something that can happen or will happen in the future is actually, even if that thing's a bad thing, but the mass hysteria and anxiety it causes on an individual level, but that's happening to so many people, I think sometimes that is just as big a problem as whatever the issue is that people are focusing on that is triggering that anxiety, if that makes sense. Yeah, we've come kind of full circle. Yeah. Like what we were speaking about at the beginning about it, the impact that it has on the individual and the internal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 it. Yeah, it's uh, it's worrying, but you know. Was that where the motif on the record came from in relation to like kind of you're speaking about blood a lot, and then you talk about guts in the last song, like mm. internal things? Yeah, yeah, that's it. I mean, it's just a kind of a metaphor for for that sort of stuff, and also. I quite liked this notion of like blood and guts and things like they're things that are horrific to see, you know, if there's an accident or even if you just put on the telly and, you know, there's horrible programs that like document people having surgery and things and you just like switch on the television and all of a sudden you see someone's intestines (laughs) inside A&E yeah Yeah. and you go whoa that's horrible I kind of quite like the notion of like yeah that those kind of organs and blood being um, you know these are things that are like physically very very important because you need them to function well to in order to exist well and lead a a healthy life but also the same token your emotions are just as important and your psychological well-being is just as important and 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 recognizing recognizing and kind of doing things on that level to kind of keep yourself healthy like in your in your mind is is just as important as the bodily things and also this kind of like idea of just as I said, like, you know, when you see someone's intestines, you're going to recoil a bit. Um, and, you know, this overspill of emotion that people can have that also can make other people just recoil and also make the person who's, you know, boiling over recoil as well, you know, in, 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 in regret or guilt or shame or whatever, you know, it's, uh, yeah. So I, I kind of liked the, the uh, the comparisons between those two. Yeah. Speaking of bodily things as well, what would we find located on your left calf? Oh. <laughs> a really ridiculous tattoo that I got when, um, let's just say I wasn't feeling very good. Uh, <laughs> so, um, I mean, you know, I shouldn't, the person who did the tattoo and did the design, uh, she's a friend. So, and the objective, I'm sure the objective when she designed it was like, this will make people smile. And that was my reasoning for getting it. It's like the outline of some buttocks. Um, and it says uh, above and below it, it says complete asshole. The word hole is crossed out. So it kind of says complete arse. That's, that's what is on my left calf. Was this a drunken tattoo? <laughs> no, it wasn't. Like I said, it wasn't sober. I, I was feeling quite low at the time, just going through some bit like personal things. I saw that she posted that on Instagram saying it was available. And I just, it was just so impulsive. It made me laugh. And then I was like, I'm going to get that. That'll, that'll be funny. So I got that. And you know what? It did cheer me up. And usually when people um, clock it and read it, it makes them laugh as well. And I think that's a really nice thing. So I'm I'm quite happy to have it, really. It, and, and I'm glad it wasn't just a drunken thing that I regret. You know, there was some amount of, like, thought put into it. but Bringing a little bit more joy into the world. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. In my own strange peculiar little way yeah <laughs> just like pigs 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 was that seven almost seven maybe uh, six. it doesn't matter i'm not I don't, I don't count anymore after the year we've had i'm not i'm, not, I'm definitely not
Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.